0: Again, a big welcome to everyone, week four of our Buddhist studies class on the seven awakening factors, looking at energy into joy tonight. But uh, one of the things I mentioned briefly at the beginning that we'll sense tonight is uh, we've been talking about the awakening factors in a somewhat linear way, we learn about what it means to be present mindful awareness sati is remembering to recognize the present moment and when that's stable enough continuous enough then another natural factor has the opportunity to develop and manifest and that's what we call the investigation or interest and because of the stability and continuity of present moment awareness, mindfulness, then wisdom can begin to discern what is, you know, I would call the issue at hand, right, what's most relevant to keep in mind, like how it works. And when we think how it works, we're talking about like how does it work that I end up being all bound up and tight and unhappy. Well, how is it that the heart, the mind ends up at other times, other moments, feeling pretty light and free and happy? And so we need the stability and continuity of present moment awareness to learn about this capacity to discern, to investigate, to unpack kind of the lawfulness of how things come to be and in particular how heavy states come to be and light states come to be because out of compassion that's just what the heart's interested in. We don't have to tell the heart to be interested in it. The only reason the heart doesn't seem to be interested in it is we haven't realized that that learning's available. You know, if we thought that there was actually a book that could teach us how to make a million dollars, you know, the reason we don't buy those self-help books is we don't think they're really going to help or go to those seminars or, you know, do all those things. But if we saw for ourselves that this approach or whatever really helps, we we would do the third factor. That third factor would naturally arise, that steadfastness, that committedness, that loyalty to what our experience has shown really helps. And what really helps, the factor that actually liberates us is that investigation, the second one. It just needs the other factors to do its job, ultimately. And that's the point I want to make here because now that we're we've gotten a sense of the first three mindful awareness investigation and energy effort persistence then we see now how the rest of the factors joy tranquility concentration equanimity it's like this is how we You know how we sometimes talk about how the ends and the means have to be in relationship with each other. That's how we know that how we're living, the path, the spiritual practices are trustworthy. I mean, it doesn't make sense, like if we're interested in the peace, the unshakable, unconditioned healing peace that the Buddha talks about, it wouldn't make sense if, uh, if we were told that the way to that is you just keep pounding your head against a solid wall of stone, you know. And if you persist enough, then you'll have a breakthrough. <laughs> the kind of breakthrough you have, of course, will be, you know, not so good for your skull. But, but we wouldn't trust that. You know, we'd hear that, this doesn't make sense that that activity, persisting at that, would lead to what my heart really intuits might be possible, like real release of whatever weight, whatever contraction that I can, I do experience, that can be released. So there's this important thing about so if we're going to really get clearer and develop awareness this investigation, this capacity to discern it's really reading the lawfulness of cause and effect in particular in terms of the inner workings of the mind and how the mind makes up meaning and understanding and uh persisting at that but all of that work of the first three has to be um, affected by influenced by joy, tranquility, concentration and equanimity. That's actually how we build the momentum of the first three because the the next four are really the flavor of awakening. And so the means, you know, we could talk about the means having mostly to do with the first three have to have the flavor, have to be in alignment with the flavor of the next four. So we'll talk more about joy next week, but I'll just, you know, give a general sense. I mean, we already have a general sense just because we know those words, joy. We have some sense of what that word points to in terms of our experience, that feeling alive, right? Joy is not a deadened, disconnected experience. When we're feeling the kind of joy that we trust, it's that alive enlivened feeling, and the kind of interest, kind of openness and sensitivity, is like that's the natural result of joy. It's like easy to be all in when we have joy, right? It's not an effort, I should be all in. Like think about times you were playing, hopefully it's not too distant in the past, you know, but like where it was really fun, whatever it was, cribbage, tennis, pickleball, whatever people do these days, you know, or just even cooking by yourself, if you like that kind of thing. And uh, just get a sense of what that enlivening joy, what that feels like in the body and the mind, what becomes very natural. And uh, so that helps us like understand the path, because the awareness, investigation, and committedness, being all in, starting over, not giving up, in all the ways skillful effort manifests, we wanted to have the flavor of joy, like be enlivening, not deadening. So it can't, like when it gets on autopilot, it will start to feel a little flat or dead. And then we'll know, what well, this is probably not onward leading. You know, somehow the practice is in a rut. I'm on autopilot. I'm, I kind of look like I'm practicing. I mean, this happens a lot in formal sitting, walking practice, where we're sort of going through the motions. But we're not really all in there isn't that joy of being all in and even if we're making significant effort it can you know that that application of mind can come out of aversion it can come out of fear it can come out of striving to be the best you know it can come out of all kinds of idealistic notions which is different than the energy that arises because the heart is connected. And that's a nice way to, to think about like ways of being, ways of practicing that are onward leading to the happiness the Buddha says is available, that unconditioned happiness. So the release of the heart isn't dependent on any circumstance. It's available no matter the conditions. And uh, is that the process is not idealistic. A lot of the path, I mean, there's different ways to understand the path, but one way is just the teasing out of idealism. Because practice isn't idealistic at all. And even that sense, because we need a sense of the goal, although we generally use the word aspiration because the word goal has a lot of baggage in English, right? Um, Like, what's possible? And we don't know. I mean, that's the truth. But we have some intuition, and that intuition has arisen from some experience that we've had, like moments of feeling a very enlivened joy, moments of feeling a deep tranquility, a deep ease, a really pleasant, deeply relaxed, heart-relaxed ease. Ah, you know, the absence of fear, the absence of needing to do anything in that moment. So we know that, And, and when we have those experiences of that enlivened, delightful, bright, joy, or that deep ease of tranquility, or that profound stillness, silence, the mind is empty of being a doer, right, that's concentration, that's the flavor of concentration, or that profound balance of equanimity, which really has that flavor of non-attachment dispassion in terms of how things are going to play out. If they play out this way, I'll work with it. If they play out that way, I'll work with it. That's that—that's that, what allows for that balance of equanimity, the seventh factor, right? Is that we know we can work with it. We'll deal with it. And there's a profound, unflappable balance. Just taking care of life, taking care of all beings. So when we're sitting and practicing or just have the intention to practice in daily life, we know the active parts of the practice is like how to bring to mind and keep in mind present moment awareness, recognizing this is being known, and stabilizing that in any way that we learned works, so that the discerning, the investigative capacity just comes online simply because there's enough continuity of awareness and that combined with this fundamental compassion, not wanting to set in motion more suffering for ourselves or others, right, that's, it's like wired in when the, the heart is sensitive, well sense that interest and you know and not causing ourselves or others more suffering. It's just there. So that that's what that's what enlivens the discerning. It's like what makes things tighter, what allows things to release. And and that work of you know being committed to the awareness the wisdom and awareness deepening its understanding of what is onward leading to release and what is it that's onward leading to being tight not just in the short term but in the longer term too right in the big picture way then, then we have these like okay is it dull or is it feel really bright with joy. But is there that deep sense of calm? Does it have a background of calm? Is there a silence, an empty, like it's happening on its own? And that balance of non-attachment, hands off. Right, so there has to be and of course, that's, it's interactive. You know, the more we learn about the last four factors of joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, the more they're going to affect the work of the first three. And the work of the first three are going to make the last four more obvious. And it's useful, like I think I talked the first week, and I encourage people to keep doing this, you know, at least once a week, if not every day, just go through the list of seven. (laughs) If nothing else, to prove to yourself that you've memorized the seven factors of awakening. You won't get your Buddhist certificate if you don't know the seven factors of awakening and the five hindrances, right? Because this is sort of the basic description of what's going on, is... The hindrances of wanting and not wanting and dullness and restlessness and doubt, those tendencies are playing themselves out to a greater or lesser extent in any moment as well as the seven wholesome factors of awakening. They're either dominant qualities in the mind or faint, feeble qualities in the mind, undeveloped or fully developed. But that's, you know how it is with any kind of um, passion we might have, hobby we might have, you know, these hobbies, these um, passions, they have their own vocabulary. And and you can't really be into it, into pool or into knitting or into sailing or whatever it is you're into, cooking. Unless you know the vocabulary. So, this is the vocabulary of awakening. And this is the fourth foundation in the Satipatthana Sutta, for those who were familiar with that. We cover that in one of the Buddhist studies classes, the four foundations. And the fourth one, the mindfulness of dhammas, it's said, you know, it really is understanding how to starve the hindrances, not feed the hindrances. Like one of the images the Buddha used, like bonfires. <laughs> the burning of wanting, the burning of hating and aversion and irritation, the, you know, the struggling with dullness, identification with a dull, sleepy mind, or the being trapped, identified with restless, that wiry, worrisome state of mind, or the circling, unproductive circling of skeptical doubt. You know, just to, how do I, because if they're there, they're being fed in some way. I mean, if they're there in some persistent fashion in our mind, then they're getting fed. Things don't, because things don't last very long. So if some quality of mind is persisting, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, then it's getting fed. So how is the mind participating in feeding dullness? And it's usually getting fed by choices of what the mind is paying attention to and how it's paying attention. Like you notice when you're really sleepy, you really the mind really wants to look at that gooey, heavy feeling of sleepiness, which just supports the mind going into unconsciousness, into sleep. But if we paid attention instead to something that aroused energy then sleepiness wouldn't continue to grow, it would diminish. And this is basic, you know, this is the basic law of karma or conditionality. You know, that things arise when the supporting causes are there, that's the feeding, and things cease, they go away, they fade away, they pop, they disappear when they're starved of the supporting causes. And so what we're getting to know are like what are the supporting causes for these seven factors? And it's the answer is basically wise attention. Yoniso Manasakara is the polyphrase, wise attention to what actually strengthens that quality. So that simple exercise of remembering the seven factors and taking a few seconds with each one and being curious about tranquility. I learned this, uh, I I developed a lot of confidence in this when I did uh, about a month retreat with Pa Oxida using the elements where you're, you know, you're... It seems such a strange set of 12 qualities. Hardness and softness and roughness and smoothness and lightness and heaviness and warmth and coolness and the fluidity, cohesive quality of water and the uh, movement. It's kind of one of the air qualities that's supporting quality. And... Uh, But if you get interested in something, you start to notice it. And the word, you know, the map, helps you get interested. That's the point for the map of the seven factors. It helps us get interested. When you're interested, you'll start to notice it. When you start to notice it, you'll start to notice what feeds it and what we consider starves it. And then, when we when we know these factors when we have confidence in these factors when we can recognize them then we can really start to see how they support each other and how it's not even like you or i do this subtle manipulation they work together this is the beautiful inspiring this is truly the cause for joy is when you see the wholesome awakening qualities of the mind, the natural awakening wholesome qualities of mind, when you see directly how they work together and how you don't have to do it. Because it, the, the flavor that is left in the mind stream is, oh... What the heart most deeply desires is something that can happen on its own. It's the work we... Because clearly, you know, practice takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. But the effort isn't so much doing the awakening process. The effort is really starving the samsara process, (laughs) the repeated stressful... Cycles that that have momentum. They have to be abandoned. They have to be seen so clearly. And the Buddha says this about the hindrances and the awakening factors. You have to be able to recognize it. You have to be able to recognize when it's there and when it's not there. And when it's not there, what supports it coming into being? And what is there? What supports it getting weak and disappearing from the mind? So both with the unwholesome and the wholesome, is tranquility there or not there? How did it come to be there in the mind, the quality of tranquility or the quality of investigation or the quality of effort? Having been there, what caused it to go away? No, I don't have any steadfastness. I just want to be complacent. And that everything happen on its own. You know, we hear these, you know, these uh, descriptions of practice like it all happens on its own. It's like, oh, that's, that's the practice I want. But the question isn't, does everything happen on its own? How do we, how do we realize that? But right, we have to realize that? Because otherwise it's idealistic. We hear something about the practice, like it's all empty, and that's such a compelling thought. So then we idealistically just want that to be true as opposed to how might that information, the inspiration, like so this might be the attribute of uh, the factor of equanimity. How can me thinking about equanimity from what I've read, from what teachers have reported, from what I've directly experienced, that stable, radiant, unflappable balance, that that, um, not being dependent on how things are unfolding. But not in like, I give up, so I don't care how things unfold. But the peace, the well-being, isn't dependent on how things unfold. That's equanimity, right? So, that sense of that, right how to use that without turning it into something idealistic. So the word equanimity or whatever word you use for that seventh factor, balance, non-attachment, it has to exist for us as an aspiration, but that aspiration has a, there's a flavor, right? And that flavor is that intuition that this isn't, just pie in the sky this is something i sense i sense i'm open to and of course that's why like joy is a little bit more accessible than the deeper states of tranquility the more profound silence empty silent peacefulness of concentration or that profound balance, that unshakable, unconditioned balance, right? So it gets more subtle, but we want to move through the list and then see how it informs how we make effort and how we're curious, how we, you know, that self-compassion that cares about how it is that suffering gets that stress and suffering gets that emotion, how it is that it can release Like this is what we're responsible for caring about how suffering comes to be and how it releases both externally and the ways we relate to each other the ways we act speak and think and, and then the effect right here in the mind, in the heart and the body send this article out next week I didn't put it in the list this week um, by Christina Feldman but she it's about uh, joyful effort I think is the title and um, she says in there in many ways the effort we make in our lives is really uh, is the visible face of our commitment and I would say More than that, and I think she makes this point in one of her articles that I've uh, included, the kind of effort we make is the sort of outward expression of how in we are, all in. Like Joseph Goldstein said once, you know, the way to do a retreat, but we could broaden that to the way we practice is 100%. That's the best way to practice, the best way to do a sit, the best way to walk from here to our car at the end of the evening, for those of you at home, you know, to put your computer away, is to be 100% all in. Because the alternative is this unconscious but very pervasive habit that has serious effects, which is the belief this moment doesn't matter the quality of my mind right now how i'm relating and what i'm doing doesn't matter and isn't that true i mean it's it's a little frightening to own up but isn't that true that it's a big part of our day we do things as if they don't matter i mean even how we carry our body You know, there's so many layers of stressful holding that are there in our body simply because we're not making the wholesome effort to notice whether the body's holding unnecessary tension. You know, and it's like, it's literally a crime <laughs> to our body. You know, it's, it is an oppressive crime that is being committed all life long the way we clench our jaw, or squeeze our anus, lift our shoulders, or press the tongue against the roof of the mouth in a way that the tongue doesn't need to be pressed against the roof of the mouth, or squint our eyes, or what's the word for when you do this, what I do? Knit your brow, (laughs) clench your jaw, grind your teeth, you know, sometimes people. I mean, we all have our habits, but you know, it's like if we, if if this is our habit, then it's like the hands forget how to open up. You know, they're just because it it becomes and the body is just the gross expression of this. But it's we're lucky because it it can it it just goes so subtle, and freaking out about this isn't helpful. The only thing that's helpful is taking responsibility as best we can and forgiving ourselves when, because of habit energies, we're not taking responsibility for taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other. So that's a nice way. And Joseph Goldstein also said something like... um, when he was talking about wise effort once, that the, his whole practice, the whole path, can be understood as a transformation in our understanding about effort, what wise effort is, how we show up, how we commit or avoid it. And I notice it's like uh, the this sort of dismissal, like, oh, this isn't deserving of my full commitment. But if I'm in dangerous territory, then, you know, it's like, all oh, the wholesome qualities come online because I could really screw this up. I could, you know, mess things up for me or for others, or I could fall off the cliff. So I'm really there. And I'm not tight because tight isn't helpful. But most of the time we have this uh, unhelpful belief that it doesn't matter and that's one of the things that the joy informing the quality of effort and informing supporting the quality investigation and awareness we really see that Every moment is a moment of conditioning. We're conditioning the mind in every moment. And we're either conditioning the mind to keep repeating stressful cycles, what we call samsara. There's no kind of holding place. But that's kind of the lie we tell ourselves. Like, I'm not digging the hole deeper. You know, I'm not doing bad stuff. Yeah, I'm sure, maybe I'm not bringing a lot of integrity to my interest in being a loving, wise human being. And the the thing is, like I feel it right now as I'm saying that, it's like my habits of entertainment, let's say, they feel threatened. So, does that mean I can never coast, never chill out, you know? But it just means like and this really helps us understand what wise effort is. It's not that we have to look like a good Buddhist all the time, but we want to make the effort to be interested all the time. And that's an interesting that brings kind of that makes things interesting. So when you are, because no one's around going to the fridge and you know, doing what you do when no one's around watching what you eat or watching what you watch on TV or on the internet or whatever. So when you are kind of escaping or chilling out, you know, just to get interested in what it's like to be interested in that. But in a non-judging way, in a non-controlling way, you know, is it okay to make the effort to be interested? to just sense how it is because that's a compelling ar- argument to the heart that cares that that sort of basic goodness of self-compassion it's like you're afraid of being clear that seems dangerous to you and and just that it, it really uh helps us have more integrity around our practice. Don't don't try to have an idealistic answer, like, no, no, I I should always value awareness. No, we really want to see when we're not valuing being present, we really want to see that for what it is. We don't want to gloss over it with this idealistic, no, no, I'm the one who believes that awareness is always helpful. Okay? But to see that, even what you know, what that is—that's just like you. You just don't want to look for yourself, <laughs> you know, like how the mind is relating and the habits that exist. Yes, okay, so I'll leave it here in the small groups tonight. Um, you know, just just unpacking, sharing what you've learned generally with the seven factors. But I thought, in particular. You know, just this commitment, like if we're committed, if we really do trust being present, what kind of effort is naturally arising? What kind of loyalty and committedness are we noticing? Where do we notice that in our lives, and where do we not notice that in our lives? And how might that be interesting, interesting to you? Like, yeah, where that remembering the practice and how it can get be a burden you know like so the idea of effort is that it's onerous it's a you know it's a problem <laughs> but I'm kind of into this thing being a Buddhist so I have to go through the motions but I it's like I was thinking about this it's like when we were in school you know yeah we put up with it but it was so nice when it was a snow day You know, oh, that's cool. You know. Or whatever, we got a Zoom meeting and then the internet doesn't work. Oh, I don't have to do it. Same thing with our practice, you know. It's like noticing how we're looking for, oh, you need help? You need my, oh, so I guess I won't sit today. You know. (laughs) Because I have an excuse. I got an out. So just to share about, like, the kind of commitment and and where we've noticed commitment that felt very natural and real and uncontrived like any place so not just in your Buddhist spiritual practices but like where do you see that kind of trustworthy loyalty, committedness willing to be all in and what might that look like in spiritual life what would have to change so that kind of energy, effort, natural, dynamic effort, might show up more and more in our practice, in our spiritual lives. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website